This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Underneath all the feelings is grief. And we get to hold that together for each other. We also get to ask a lot of questions. And we are so thankful that we have our ministers that are putting themselves in the hot seat to ask, to answer, try to answer the questions. Um, We're going to have Reverend Jane and Reverend Jim and Reverend Tam come up. And today's version of Ask the Minister is really intentional following the last week for everyone. So I want to give you a lot of freedom to ask questions. And Kevin, I'm walking this around the room, is that right? Okay, wonderful. All right. And do we have online questions at some point? I should check in with you. Okay, wonderful. All right. Hold on one second. I have my. Some of you may have questions, but some of you also may have reflections, that inspirations that came to you. I know, Joanne, you shared a really beautiful one after the little service we did on Tuesday that would be great to share. And so, just because we're sitting up here with a minister title doesn't mean that all of you don't have beautiful inspirations too. And the intention is really not so much to solve the problem of how what happened happened, but to, to really explore how do we maintain ourselves living spiritual principles, especially when something really awful happens. So it could be what happened last Sunday, but it could also be like Tiffany was sharing, they got word that her husband had a tumor and they didn't, they didn't know. You know, in the after effect, it's good news, but, but we all face things like that. We, we face places where we are in, in just such a state of panic and and we don't know what to do, and that's when we need our spiritual principles. So that's our hope, is that we can frame this in, in that way. So. Who's got some questions? Burning, burning desires, reflections, things to share. Ah, wonderful. Hi, Nate, how you doing? I am. Hello. Beautiful song, by the way. And I think it asks a very important question. I think it's one of the places we get really confused as human beings walking around this planet. Why is nobody listening to my prayers? Is anyone listening? And I'm finding, as I go through life, uh, 48th trip around the sun so far now, there is no one listening, no one out there. Um, there's one person and one person only, and that's right in here. Um, 
And that's the only thing that's proven to work for me time and time again, is to have that connection. And I'm slowly starting to find that that connection is, in fact, God, him or herself, as well. I'm curious to, my question for you guys is, when you get in states like the young man was on Sunday, or some version of that, obviously you guys perhaps aren't to that extreme, I unfortunately can deeply relate to his pain and anger and desire to cause harm to myself and others. How do you reorient yourself away from that to that inner quiet? What is your personal technique that you use to find God again uh, in moments of extreme suffering when it's ever so difficult to find anything? For me, uh, I use touchstones when I am in that kind of a state. And I think back to times in my life when I have been down and when I've found ways to lift myself back up again. And most of that uh, is being of service to other people. Finding ways that where others are down, where you can help, because you relate so directly to that. And so being of service is probably one of the best possible ways to help yourself while you're helping others. That's amazing, Jim. I think of prayer as an action. And one of the things I love most about the unity principles is that we have affirmative prayer. And when this all hit last Sunday, I, too, like everyone else, went into that very dark state, and I found myself afraid. I have members of my inner circle that are mentally unwell, and I could see them reacting in such a way in their sense of isolation and, and fear. And I just plummeted into that sense of despair. And I often say this, I don't care that it says reverend on my name tag. I'm as human as everyone else in the room, and I think we all are. And when you start anchoring yourself in the idea that prayer is an action, you can grasp onto, well, what actions can I take? And I have a, a, a kind of wild story of how that kind of evolved. So I just kept thinking, tell me what action you need from me. Tell me what I can do. And in that, um, I got to officiate a wedding on Friday. Wasn't it wonderful to do something so magnificent and positive? And it was a last minute thing, and this couple have been dragged through the mud and the muck to get to that day. And so they had asked a favor. And people came together to put on the ceremony, including my opportunity to officiate and look at love live and real and beautiful. And in the process, we wanted it to be something more than, you know, Tam stands up, spews a couple words, says, great, you're married, we're out. So 
One of the things that we decided to do was reach out and get a food platter and all, and somebody else had volunteered and gotten a cake, and it was all service for this couple. You may know that we have a service problem here in the area, and everybody needs 48 hours to prepare anything or to do anything, and this food platter was not coming together because nobody could get to us, and I'm crappy at doing those kind of things. And so um, I called Market of Choice, not even thinking, I'm calling a grocery store. All of these people are equally affected by what just happened. And I began my sales pitch that they might consider putting this food platter together. And I said, well, I'm even volunteering my efficient time. And she said, wait. You're an official something or other spiritual? I said, that's exactly how I describe myself. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> and she said, I've never said this to anybody in my entire life, but would you pray with us right now? Here I am saying, please help me understand how prayer can be an action. And so all of the beautiful souls that had to show up at work and listen to somebody like me call and say, hey, I really do need this. I know you have 48 hours, but I got to have it. And they all put me on speakerphone, and I have no idea what came out of my mouth. I never do when I'm connected to something bigger. And I can hear crying and, and whispers and the cutest thing at the end. I said, I can say amen or, and so it is. I'm kind of a so it is kind of gal. And they said, do both. <laughs> and then she says to me, my boss has said, we'll have your platter done at tomorrow by three. I'm simply saying prayer is an action, and when I don't know what to do, I ask to be called of service and make that happen. That's a great story. Yeah, I agree with you. Prayer is really, that is my go-to. Um, asking someone for prayer, actually, to help me get myself back on in center. But I also, I also take a look at. Um, well, first, I really let myself feel, because I'm I'm not floating on some elevated pain. I'm in shock, like the rest of you. I'm scared. Um, In my case, I was thinking about, I don't know if you saw, that his real intention was to um, shoot up Mountain View High the first day of school. And so I, I was going straight to my grandkids and, and all the other kids that are out there. And, and so that was, that was the fear that I had to get myself calmed down from. Um, and so I have a tendency to look at where do these things live in me? Like is there, is there a place in me where 
I am not resonating with the divine. What is that fear about? And what came for me was that it's about death. And the belief that, I mean, not that I'm advocating this, obviously, but what am I afraid of? I'm afraid that people are going to be killed. And that, I was figuring out how do I hold that with a belief that when we die, we're just back into the all, which while we're here, we appear not to be in. We appear to be this independent entity, but we're not. That's an illusion. And so death, even if it's happening to someone I love, is still their being brought back into the all. So that's a little comforting. And, but it's a lot of work for me to stay in that place, but it still gave me a little comfort to think about it that way. I also found that being in the moment was really helpful because the what if somebody goes to one of the schools is not actually happening. In the moment, all is well. And so that was a practice to stay in that breath. And I think that's something that we can all apply. I also just wanted to say, Eric and Dave, your song really made me think of this and what you were saying, Tam, about action. I was reading, um, there's this wonderful book that's a new one that's been released by Unity called Still on Fire, a Queer Mystics Guide, Field Guide, I think is the name of it. And she talks about, there's this point where she has pulled over on the side of a road and she's taking pictures or video of these birds that are just swirling and so beautiful and all of a sudden she hears this sound and it's the sound of her car being hit and she goes over the ravine and ends up with the car on top of her and she's thinking okay i guess i'm dead now and then except that she's not and she realizes that if she could wiggle out, because she's not paralyzed, and so if she could wiggle out, maybe she could get free, but she can't. And the next thing you know, there, she hears these voices, and there are two men who have come, and they're saying, are, is anybody alive here? And she's, yes, I'm alive. And they say, oh my God, we're going to go get help. And she says, this booming voice came out of her where a minute ago she could only kind of, you know, half whisper this. This booming voice comes out and says, no, you are the help. <laughs> and, and she said, grab this car and lift it up so that I can get up. And so they did. They got together, and with superhuman strength, they lifted it up, 
And one of them took a free hand and helped pull her out. And she said what she learned from that is that when things happen, we always want to look outside of ourselves. We're gonna go find some expert, somebody who knows, somebody can do this. But the truth is, we are expressions of the divine. And all those powers that we ascribe to a God, wherever the God might be, are here. And they are there on an as-needed basis if we will claim them. So when you, when you ask, what can I do? How can prayer be in action for me now? You know, for each one of us, I don't know what it is. I, I think prayer is a perfectly fine action. I think if we are changing how we're thinking about this and we are not generating tons and tons of fear and putting that out into the noosphere, then that is a great action. And for some of us, there might be something else. So each one of us needs to ask. One of, the, one of the ideas that came to me was to contact a woman at Horizon Broadcasting um, who I had reconnected with for cat and dog days <laughs> that we did this summer. And I had gone on there and done an interview and she had loved my interview and she said, oh, I wanna do that more. So I thought, here's my chance. I could say something that might be of comfort to their listeners. And so I contacted her and I recorded that. It's probably playing this morning. So you never know what it could be. Thank you, Jane. Tamara and Jen. <laughs> yes. Okay, so <clears throat> last Sunday we had uh, just gone the whole Whole Foods and uh, filled up um, our water jug and we <laughs> we went to our car and went home and like. Uh, Immediately, I started seeing posts about what had happened. So, and we live like just a few blocks away from there. And um, yeah, I, I didn't say anything about that to my 12 year old. But we could easily have gone the safe way. I mean, it must have just started happening like seconds after we left. So um, how do you process that when before things like that seem very abstract and um, far away, but this is like right, right at home, how do you um, wrap your mind around that and process it and when it becomes so very real? Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, I was supposed to talk about the Tao uh, today, and we've switched that around. But the Tao has a lot to say about that. Uh, there's a, a Tao saying that the Tao does nothing, but everything gets done. And there's a wisdom teaching called Wu Wei. 
It means that when you're in a state of not knowing, what do you do? You do nothing. That is, you allow yourself to go into a meditation, you allow yourself to be quiet. They use the analogy of water that's muddy water. And uh, continuing to stir the water doesn't get rid of the mud. It doesn't make it clear. What you do is you just let it settle. The sediment's still at the bottom, but we've let it go to the point where we've got some clarity. And clarity is what we really, really need more than anything else in this situation. It's not like uh, the pain is gone the moment that we get clarity. But they have another symbol called the yin and the yang. Uh, most of you have seen it. It's a circle uh, with two teardrops in it and the black and white, uh, male and female, uh, high and low, good and bad, all of that is part of that. And yet it's paradoxically a unity as well as a separation. And the yin side of this is that we have this fear, we have this upset, we have this feeling of, you know, anxiety. What do I do? Do I go shopping again? What do I do? And on the other side is the yang, which says, you know, I acknowledge that. It's okay that I feel that way. But I'm going to go forward regardless. And that's the paradox, uh, is that we have both of these within us. But as the saying goes, courage is not the, abil is not the ability to uh, not be fearful. It's the ability to get past that fear and continue to do what we need to do regardless. Victor, I have no words for your courage to come and say what you said. Because so many people around us feel and are experiencing that. And grief is what happens when these things occur. And, you know, in neuroscience and many spiritual precepts, we say, well, you got to find gratitude to get out of your grief. And to imagine thinking, well, I'm so grateful that we weren't there feels so painful to imagine. And so we acknowledge the grief and meet it where it is. But one of the most important things about grief is that you tend to leave your body quite a bit. And so we all have to slow down. We all have to realize there's a part of us that's numb. I assure you, we will see an increase in car accidents and other things because people are grieving all around us. And so at that point, you keep talking and you find people that will listen to you where you are. I ask that we all give people grace to feel however they are in that moment. And many of you know my story, but I'll add to it. Um, my husband died of brain cancer six, eight years ago, August. And it was about two years after the fact. And one of my very closest friends in the entire world sat me down, and these were her words. You need to get a therapist. Two years is long enough to grieve. And you need to get over this. You're beginning to annoy people. 
I was annoying myself, so I can't say that she was wrong. But, but in there is the assumption that anyone else can define the time of grief for you or for me. So I invite us to meet everyone around us where they are and truly listen and let them be. And we don't define their process for healing or that sudden outburst of tears or anger that comes from nowhere. And the only other piece I would add is this is a really good time to let your empathic self take over because it will guide you when all else fails. So thank you so much for sharing your grief with us so we could honor it and acknowledge it and see you for where you are. That, that, what can be, so first is just acknowledge what you're feeling and don't try to wiggle out of it. <laughs> but then I do find gr gratitude helpful. You know, it's not just, grateful that you were safe, but begin to think about other things unrelated that you're grateful for just because that energy is powerful. Another energy is beauty. And you can sit in the room and just look around and see what's beautiful. Or if you feel safe to get out in nature, then nature is amazing and just just being there, so it's a kind of mindfulness meditation where you're being present with the beauty and, and also that, you know, there's the death and the destruction in nature that you see as well. And it, it just all is there, whole and holy. It's all holy. Thank you, Jane. I was wondering how I would segue into this conversation, and you gave me the lead here. I've been studying recently the history of the biblical flood. And What became apparent is that there's not just been one flood. There have been many worldwide floods that have changed our planet dramatically. The most recent was the one we remember most because it's the one that is often referred to as the biblical flood, which took place about 10,500 BC. It changed the face of the world. It became a new reality. And it makes me aware that When we look at the history of the world, 
great changes take place after great tragedies or catastrophes. Why? Hopefully because of the law of action and reaction. That there is an equal and opposite reaction to every action. And if we can use that as a segue to understand what is incomprehensible to us right now, seeing it from a higher or more expansive perspective, we could see that it's more than just our personal responses that is at, that is at stake, but it's the world changing in its vibration and our collective wisdom to see that we are part of a grand pattern of change and transformation. And if we can draw from that wisdom, just as you've said, Jim, as the Tao teaches us and so many other traditions, that we are all co-creating this reality. And from a perspective that we don't fully understand with our rational minds. We are spiritual beings, having a human experience, meaning that we are part of that unifying co-creative energy that is manifesting on the planet today. And if we can identify with it, it can provide us some degree of solace, knowing that it's not in vain that people suffer. It's part of the human experience. And hopefully it makes us stronger, more courageous, and more willing to go where we have never gone before. Um, I, so I, um, I don't know if many of you know, I'm the executive director of a youth development nonprofit called Campfire here in our community. And our purpose is to help youth thrive through connecting them with themselves, the environment, and their community. So you can imagine, and a big part of what we do is uh, teen programs, um, getting them out in their community to do community service, and our, um, our concerns with their mental health has been uh, really ramped up in the last few years. So, um, when I heard about this, and then in the next morning, I learned that Mountain View was the original target and where my son attends school, I was driven to try to understand why Ethan did what he did. What was his motivation? And um, many of you probably know, and I don't know how many of you have actually read his journal, I read his entire journal, every single entry since June. And I 
many times stopped and had to take breaks. And I thought, I shouldn't do this. This is just, you know, I'm just kind of feeding it and so forth. But I needed to understand why. And what he shared in there, which maybe all of you know, but I don't, I haven't been reading the news since because I can't. But number one reason he gave was his isolation with COVID. And number two was not feeling loved. So when I think of Donna, thank you for that poem and your call to action. For me, it's really tangible that what our youth need is more adult mentors because they can't always get the love they need from their families. And I don't blame his parents. He was, um, he was a very eloquent young man very eloquent and he had his own reasons why he did what he did because he believes there's something better after this for him where he will have unconditional love and it's not in organized religion i mean he was very eloquent and it breaks my heart right that he had to believe that's what he had to do to get it so I just want to encourage all of you to think about the ways you can be mentors to young people who don't yet have the grounding of prayer, who don't yet know how to pull the right messages from inside of them, and they need that guidance from, you are all like the perfect candidates, right? So there's big brothers, big sisters you can volunteer with. There's places that specifically are looking for mentors with children of incarcerated parents. There are, there's the restorative justice program that trains you to go into schools and help with conflict resolution. There are so many great organizations that you can volunteer time with put your heart and soul and just encouraging or just look for those youth in your life that you can spend more time with and show them how much they're loved and they're supported and they don't need to be alone. So I don't know if anyone else has any other. I, I would just like to add that it's always a cry for love, every one of these situations. Your neighbor or your friend to unity next week. You know, this is, this is a place where we're giving the message they need to hear. And if we have more kids coming and, and volunteers for programs here, we can, we can help in that way with who we are right now. How are we doing on time? Do we have oh. how... I don't know. I'm not I mean, sure if I'm the timekeeper or someone else. Usually this would be the time to wrap, and we've got a couple more questions. Okay. So I, I don't know. The Baptists stay in church for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going? Okay. We've got one right here with Eric. Um, I've been struggling with this. Uh, like Dave mentioned, he and I had this long discussion on the 
the day after it all took place and I read the thing from Ethan and I uh, I, I have if I'm honest with myself and by extension honest with everybody here I might say some things that I won't be looked on very fondly about but uh, when I was reading that I usually am a very empathic person sometimes to a fault and I found myself really not wanting to empathize with him I didn't want to give him that and I know that there the other part of me is well of course he was just crying out for love and at that moment I just didn't care and I don't like that part of myself but it's there and uh, I mean it went away or at least it was supplanted by my belief that we're here to learn how to love and it's easy to be a beacon of light when all the when the sun is shining <laughs> but it's not really necessary and it's only when things get dark that you really need to let that light manifest and that's when it's hardest to get the light to manifest so it's kind of a I don't know I don't know where I'm going here it's kind of stream of consciousness I just needed to get this out so I apologize if I'm taking time away from somebody who actually had a question I'll get but uh, it was I was also thinking about the fact that that I, I agree that that well I think the other thing I was thinking when I was reading his his blog was did no one tell this guy that and I mean I'm not even meaning this sarcastically I'm honestly thinking did no one tell this guy that part of adolescence is feeling uncomfortable in your own skin and being yeah, I'm gonna say it, being pissed off you know that, that that's part of unfortunately that's part of the, the experience of being a teenager and it sucks and and but I don't know where some people get the coping mechanisms and others don't I don't know how that works I've never had kids I don't have kids myself so the only experience I have is my own and I don't even I mean I had superheroes and stuff like that, which seems really trite but it worked for me uh, I, I don't know I mean maybe that's part of the mentoring we have to do is tell it's not all about sunshine and roses sometimes it's just like yeah you feel ugly you feel low self-esteem and that's okay just get through it because it's gonna get better it's gonna change because it happens to everybody and I mean I don't mean to trivialize that it's just it, it and if I sound like I am then I'm not getting my point across <laughs> but anyway I just I'm gonna stop because I'm feel like I'm babbling so but uh, that I find helpful is what if upping that the thinking of what if this leads to something better you know so you can empathize with a young man who is feeling lost and alienated and then there's the how is he coming up with this gun and why do we have those in our in our country that's <clears throat> that's another question but what if this is part of a change like at realms 
middle school, they start every year with going off on a week's camping trip slash bonding with kids. So yes, it is true that most or many kids are uncomfortable in their skin in middle school and high school, but why <clears throat> are we letting that be so? Why do we have a system where this is not addressed and addressed straight on with, with actions like we've had Challenge Day, and I think that program has died off, but why aren't we as a society and as a community getting creative and advocating for ways that, that kids can be part of the community even when they're weird? Because some kids, I mean, some kids are weird, right? They haven't, they haven't grown into their full selves yet. I mean, I was a weird kid. Trust me, I really was, and I had no friends when I was 14. And I could not figure out for the life of me how to get them. I was reading popularity magazines, looking for the secret. But wouldn't it have been great if somebody, because it can't be our parents, because at that age, we don't listen to our parents. They know nothing. So we need a community of adults that, that are respected. So whether it's individual mentoring or it's, it's getting up and, and speaking, you know, like you could go to a high school and you could sing. You're an amazing singer. And you could talk. And it could be a whole thing that you did at an assembly. They always have assemblies and they need them. You know, that's just one example. But everybody here has gifts. Some of you could get onto the school board and say, yeah, all these subjects are important, but most important is we are a community, and everybody knows that. So anyway, that's my two cents. Well, and I wanted to add, why do we assume that it's only the kids that age that are having difficult with self-esteem, et cetera? Donna's going to laugh at for a moment. When Jane called me or texted me and said, will you be up there, you know, and, and help out on Sunday? I said yes, because if you ever worked with Jane, you usually should say yes, because she guides us to a better place than where we were. Okay, well, that's true. Um, Manissa's pointing out also her persuasion skills. Um, but I went immediately into imposter syndrome. I'm like, there is absolutely no way. I talk too much. We all know I talk too much. What happens if I screw the timing up? What if I say something terribly wrong? And Donna and I were talking, and I confessed to this. And being okay with me being feeling so out of sorts and so much an imposter, she laughed gently, beautifully, and said, whatever comes out of your mouth is what's supposed to be heard. And so I just want to acknowledge, it isn't just the kids. All of us have those doubts and those fears and those uncertainties. And showing up here sometimes is half the battle because somebody else in the room will say exactly what you needed to hear. And so I want to chime in on next week's potluck. 
because you might have people in your life that are curious but don't want to make a commitment or whatever. We're just holding the space that maybe whoever comes through the door hears exactly what it was they needed to hear. I know we're getting a little over time, but I want to share this story because it meant so much to me. Uh, some of you may have heard it before, but the greatest bliss that I've ever felt in my entire life was working with a group of YOUers uh, when there was 500 of us at Unity Village, and I had the chance to work with 30 of them for a week. And there were some oddballs in there. There was the kids with the spiky hair, and there was the kids that were goth, and there was all of this. And they were all feeling like outcasts when it started. And we began to do connection and bonding exercises, and more and more uh, where we connected and told each other how much we loved each other and showed it in so many ways, things called the car wash, where you go through a line and everybody touches you and say what they like about you and so on. And by the end of that week, uh, there was a paper that was on their back and everyone of the class wrote something they loved about this person. And it was just a transformation that you can't believe that occurred with these kids. The, the, the ones that were the outcasts were being loved in such a, a way and they felt that love and they changed. Their whole life changed. They will be uh, different for the rest of their life. I was too, by the way. As I said, I felt this bliss that you can't describe. I was walking on air for days. And I, that's one of my touchstones, by the way. But it just says how important it is for us to try to restart this YOU program that we had here last year and before COVID. That's the plug for that, because that's another way we can help the youth, the teenagers and, and younger. So let's think about how we can make that happen. More questions, Donna. I just want to say a comment. Um, so Sunday night obviously was upsetting, and Monday morning I woke up and I, you know, I'm smart and I want to understand. I so want to understand. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not here to understand. I'm here to love. And what does that look like right now? So I'm just offering the opportunity for anybody who has ideas that will move the needle towards compassion, that will move the needle to being heard. If it's it, moratorium on school, hey, next two months, let's sit and listen to each other. Let's have circles. I don't know. I really think this country needs to do triage. I think we need to be in a big gym, and I think we need to listen to each other, and I think we need to say, who is suffering mentally? Who's suffering with food? Who's suffering? How can I help? So. I'm just rambling again, too, <laughs> with these ideas, because I have them, and I want it so much to be better. And I'll just end with, whenever something happens like this, how am I like that person? How am I violent? How am I cruel? What have I done that hurt somebody else? Now, that's not my usual MO, but I sure have had that and sure still, still do sometimes. So I think that's also, it begins with me, and it also begins with having the courage to take these ideas, ask for support with the ideas, run with the ideas, and, and see what happens. Because we do have, like Unity says, we are co-creators of magic. 
We are co-creators of possibility, and we have it within us. And sometimes we need to rest, and sometimes we need to isolate, and sometimes we need to scream. <laughs> but we are here to love, and whatever that looks like, please don't be shy and fearful of taking those steps forward. It looks like kindness. It looks like that's what love is in action. Being kind to others and seeing when people are hurting and being with them, whatever it takes, even quietly. Maybe we can take two last ones, three. Yeah. Um, I'm Susan, and my son died of suicide four and a half years ago. And your friend Forrest was part of the reason I lived through that, the young man with the long hair I often sit with. And um, I have a lot of miracles surrounding, you know, my son communicating with me since his death. And um, one of them is, um, I consider a shooter who shoots a hundred bullets and only kills two people to be suicide by cop, which is 13% of officer justified homicide. And another 13% can't face it and turn the gun on themselves, so 26% is suicide by cop. Um, I've prayed to my son many times and thanked him for going out in the woods instead of getting drunk and doing a drunk driving suicide or something that took someone with him. So I always go to the parent of the shooter in my heart. If you've read the beautiful book from um, the Amish school that was shot up, the parents went immediately to the mother of the shooter to take care of her. Um, my first year, I had everyone at every anniversary of my son's life. The second year, I didn't know how I was going to make it through because I couldn't ask anymore of people. So he died December 12th. I always wake to um, classical music. And for some miraculous reason, I woke to NPR on a morning. I thought, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. And they announced that the FCC voted unanimously December 12th, 2019, to create a 988 suicide hotline. Why did it take 20 years? My son is in the woods with a gun, and how's he going to remember a 10-digit number? So my tribute to this event was to go on every Facebook access I had and say, have you told everyone about 988? Please do that if you haven't. This is not being put on hold. It's a trained counselor on the other end. Forrest and I took a young man we know. He and I shared a fantasy. The eight months after David died, I scanned every room I walked into for the active shooter because I was going to be the lady that took him down and died. I was going to do a socially acceptable suicide. I scanned every room for the active shooter. And 
I'd been sharing with a young man who had that same fantasy. So Forrest and I took him out for a plunge in a nice Cold Creek purification on Monday. <laughs> and um, he shared with me on the drive home that after I shared 988 two weeks ago, he used it last week. Please email everyone you know today and tell them that 988 is working. There's some dissing going on online about how bad it is. It is not bad. It has active, trained people who pick up and don't put the person on hold. Please ask everyone to put it in their phone. Thank you, Susan. Who else had a, do we have time for? Yep. All right. Oh, yeah, that's right. There are some natives in there. <laughs> well, I'd like to end this on a, a more positive note. I came, Jim and I came Tuesday night when we all came, were invited to come to process. And um, uh, we were doing the meditation. We had a nice uh, meditation. And we, you know, it was breathing in, breathing out, the love in your heart. And I just envisioned breathing out, love to the world, breathing out, love to the world. And as I did that, I said, love will, will prevail. Love will prevail. And then I had this amazing vision of this fiery uh, light up, up here and... Uh, a voice said, no, love doesn't need to prevail. Love is. Love always was, always is, always will be. And I, I remembered looking up and just being amazed, but, and then saying, but, 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 you know, all these things. And the voice said, all the others shall fall away. That is preventing love being all there is. So I just wanted to share that, that that gave me hope. And thank you, Donna, for your poem saying the same thing. <laughs>